Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. And I'm going to begin and end this study this morning by saying um, uh, this is a very difficult message to deliver. Um, I've tried to think of ways to um, bring it more to life, if you will. And so what I'm going to do this morning is show two short videos, both of them are under two minutes. And we're going to begin the service by um, doing a recreation. Somebody went to the trouble of trying to actually create Revelation chapter 8 and put it into film version. And it's only two minutes long, but I think it'll help you get more of an impact of the seriousness of what's about to take place. So we're going to open this morning with this video, and then we will come back and go through both chapters 8 and 9. Again, uh, these are the seven trumpet judgments. So guys, if you'd play that at this time. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, about the space of half an hour. And I saw, the seven angels which stood before God. And to them, were given seven trumpets. And another angel came, and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints, upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God, out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and filled it with fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire, mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea, and had life, died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were land. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters, because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. But it does demonstrate um, uh, chapter 8 
And as we get into our study this morning and thinking about um, this and the very first verse that we're going to read is uh, this silence in heaven. Um, This is a very solemn scene. Uh, The Lord Jesus orders a halt on all fronts in heaven and hell and earth. Nothing can move without his permission. He has already ordered the cessation of natural forces on the earth when he ordered the sealing and the saving of the two different groups. He's talking about the 144,000 from chapter seven that were sealed. Uh, So basically what we have here is um, uh, a reluctancy on the sake of the Lord to bring this judgment. A good way to probably categorize this is uh, the silent is a pause of action. It is the lull before the storm. If you look at the very first verse, I believe the Lord actually showed me uh, why they opened this series of judgments with this silence in heaven. So let's look at verse one. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I want you to go back. I want to lay a little groundwork here because I actually think I understand why there's silence. So go to Genesis chapter one, and I'm going to briefly go over creation. Genesis chapter one, and on the first day we have uh, the Lord creating heavens and the earth, and so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now on the second day, we find um, the Lord made the firmament and the water, and the waters which were above the firmament, and God created the firmament, heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, on the third day, we have the dry earth appearing, and we have grass being formed that yields uh, her kind of seed and fruit, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were this day. Please take note of that, that all green things were created on the third day, and we don't have the sun and the moon created till the fourth day. See what I'm saying? Green grass is gonna last very long, Uh, If there's thousands of years of time, when you have green things being created on the third day and the sun and the moon being created on the fourth day. So on the fourth day, there will be great lights in the heaven. He's talking about the suns and the moon for signs and seasons, for days and years. And these were the two great lights. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On the fifth day, the Lord created the sea creatures Um, every living thing that moves, whether they're winged birds or whatever. uh, He said, be fruitful and multiply, so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. What I want to point out here is everything that the Lord looked at on this this week of creation, he says it's very good. And it's before the fall. Now I'd like you to turn with me to the book of uh, Job. Give you a little chance to get there. Job chapter 38, while you're turning, let me give you a little background of what's going on here. We're almost at the end of Job, and Job is having a one-on-one conversation with the Lord. He thinks he understands what's going on. So basically, in chapter 38 of Job, the Lord is sort of putting Job in his place. 
uh, because Job thinks he knows what's going on and the Lord's going, Job, you don't have a clue what's going on. So we read in verse one, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, that's sarcasm. Or stretched out the line upon it? To what was its foundation fashioned? Or who laid its corners? Verse seven is what I wanted to get to. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So we have in Genesis 1, the creation. God looked at it. He says, this is very good. And then we have this verse here. The heavenly reaction to the creation was all the angels shouted, and then they sang, and they shouted for joy. Okay, got a picture of that? Heaven sees the creation. What's the response? They're shouting for joy at what they've, the beauty of what they just saw. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter four. I'm gonna be making a point here. Revelation chapter four, uh, verse eight through 11, we have um, the heavenly scene, uh, the four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes round and about, And they do not rest, notice, day or night. They say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and ever, casting their thrones, their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Back to verse eight. How do they do this? How often? Day and night. So if I understand from the beginning of creation, all the angels rejoicing, and we have this continual worship that goes on continually. It has been since creation. In other words, there's always been joy and worship that is until. I believe the reason, uh, if we go back to our opening verse now, I think it'll give us a, a little deeper meaning of the magnitude of what's about to take place. God is reluctant to bring this judgment there's always been worship in heaven. It's never been silent. Is everybody with me on that? It's never been silent. And all of a sudden, a holy hush falls over. And I think the angels are looking. They realize these seven trumpet angels. The father, the son, realizes the magnitude of what's about to take place. If I would compare it to anything, I would compare it to the father and son and the Holy Spirit. And when the father had to separate himself from the son so that Jesus could have our sins placed upon him, there had never been separation. They had always been together. They had no beginning. 
They always were. But something happened on Calvary's cross. When my sin was placed on there, it was dark. Remember for three hours? God looked away. They were separated so that the judgment could fall. So if I would liken it to to anything, it would be that God is reluctant. And I'm trying to paint a picture of the immensity that I don't think we can really, really wrap our heads around about what's to take place. God's creation, he probably looked at it, and I remember when the angels sang for joy. And now he's looking at it and said, I'm about to bring, this is the beginning of the trumpet judgments, we're gonna go into the bold judgments, and by the time we get to the end of the bold judgments, no more planet Earth. Not the end of the world, people get that confused. It's not the end of the world. It's a judgment of the world, and there'll be um, a recreation, and the curse will be removed as we get into the millennium. How many times have you people, uh, are you you people? I think you're people, yeah. (laughs) You guys out there, Hopefully you can find some humor because it's such a serious topic and what we're diving into this morning that um, have heard people say, oh, you Christians always talk about the end of the world. No, the world's not gonna end for another 1,000 years or at least 1,007 years, at least. So correct them, Um, but we are talking about a judgment that is so severe that this preacher can't put it into words. It's so, the magnitude of it is something that has never happened before. And before the angel can sound, there's a half an hour where the reluctancy for taking notes, I'm quoting Isaiah 28, verse 21, where it says, the steps of God from mercy to judgment are always slow, reluctant, and measured. God is reluctant to judge, for he is slow to anger, and judgment is his strange work. Isaiah 28, verse 21. And as we look at verse 1, now it's all about to be destroyed in increments as we go through the uh, judgments this morning. So that's, as I thought about verse 1, um, that's why there's a reluctancy. Verse 2 through 5. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense uh, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God uh, from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, from the altar, and notice he throws it to the earth, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, in the Old Testament, when the temple existed, um, next week is Yom Kippur. It would be the only day during the year that the high priest would have um, uh, taken a censer with him and carried the blood into the Holy of Holies. Now, if there was a temple today, and they reinstitute uh, worship, this will be something that will happen. But he would go in and make atonement for the people on Yom Kippur. It's a very solemn day in Israel. People are meditating right now because they don't have the temple. What they're told to do is just go and meditate upon their own uh, 
nature and the necessity for redemption. And so they, they don't have the temple right now, but when they did, uh, the, the high priest would go in once a year and he would make atonement for the people. But here, the ritual is reversed because out of heaven, the censer is hurled down upon the earth. Instead of prayers going up, they're there, but now they're turning it around and it's being hurled to the earth. In other words, the prayers ascending as incense and now we have the answer coming down. The tribulation saints had prayed. Remember this? In, chapter, in the seal judgments, O God, avenge us. They asked for vengeance, that was their prayer. O God, avenge us. Uh, the people of the earth, having rejected the death of Jesus Christ for the judgment of their sins, must now bear the judgment for their own sins. The great tribulation is about to get underway. Let's go to verse six. First trumpet judgment. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Just this one verse right here. Again, this is a solemn moment. Um, The half hour of silence is over now. The prayers of the saints have been heard. The order is issued to prepare to blow. The angels come to attention and the blowing of the trumpet, divine wrath, is visited upon a rebellious people. And so we have here, in this first trumpet judgment, let me just clarify something as we go through the seven trumpet judgments. The first four are judgments that affect planet Earth. The last two, five and six trumpet judgments, are directed towards mankind. Is everybody with me? The first four are directed to planet Earth. Um, uh, Five and six are directed towards uh, mankind. And when we get to um, the seventh one, I'll explain that. So here, with uh, the, the first trumpet judgment, we read, the angel sounded and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. That is the first trumpet judgment. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Draw your attention to verses three and seven, three through seven. First of all, this is going on in, when I read uh, local prophecy news. Um, the one I read yesterday was the increase in Christians being martyred worldwide. Uh, And it's been growing and growing and growing. And we have scoffers. And we read in verse uh, three of 2 Peter 3, he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You guys have been saying this forever. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. The last time there was global judgment, we go all the way back to the flood. But they willfully dismiss that. 
There's no worldwide flood. This just happened and the natural cause of evolution and that's how the Grand Canyon was formed. I think Russ Miller pretty much set that one straight for those of you who are at the prophecy conference. And But the point is, they're choosing to suppress something because um, when you study the scriptures, the next time God put a rainbow and he says, I'll never do it that way again. But the next time, let's read the next verse, verse seven, but the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's talking about this period of time that we just entered into. It has started. The great tribulation has just begun and here Peter talks about it that it won't be a flood this time. This time it's gonna be by fire. Back to Revelation. And let's look at the second trumpet judgment in verses eight and nine. And again, I'm gonna try to dramatize this, um, dramatize it. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So in the second judgment, we have this great mountain hitting the sea. Could be an asteroid, and the results of it are a third of the sea is blood, a third of the ships are destroyed, a third of the ocean life destroyed. I went online and I googled this. This is a two-minute video of a drama. Try, try to uh, show this in video form. So let's run at it this time. This time by fire. I like to refer to the seven trumpet judgments as also the third judgments because as we make our way through um, the rest of the book of Revelation, we're going to find that the judgments simply intensify until we get into the bold judgments, which are not a third but complete. And so let's go on to the next third trumpet judgment, which is in verse 10 and 11. And we read here, then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water. Now the name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the water became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was bitter. Now, the Lord could be, remember there's wars and rumors of wars going on. This could be supernatural. A lot of these judgments parallel the judgments that God brought upon Egypt when he was delivering Egypt from the land of Israel. Darkness, hail and fire mixed, remember, coming down from heaven. So there are parallels there. And it is judgment being brought upon Egypt. And the last one, of course, was uh, the death of the firstborn of of Egypt. But here, um, it could be supernatural, but at the same time, I was doing, I'm gonna be talking about air quality control. Do you know where the worst air quality in the world is in the world today? You'd be surprised, but maybe not so much. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. The worst nuclear... um, explosion naturally from besides war and I'm going to talk about that a little later too 
the radiation that's still around that area has produced the worst air quality uh, in the world. And so we find that the result of this, it could be radiation poisoning that kills and causes the water to be undrinkable. So I'm not being dogmatic about either one of them. Biblically, I can say it happened before in Egypt. Uh, Hail mixed with fire, and here is hail mixed with fire with blood. The effect is one-third of um, of the fresh water. Uh, So remember, there's no rain for the first three and a half years. So we have no water to replenish the water supply. Uh, The water is bitter, undrinkable, uh, possibly because of, of, of the radiation or just God supernaturally doing it. Either way, it's going to happen. Can you see why I said at the beginning of the study this is gonna be a difficult study to do? Because like you, I know this has to happen. There's no way it can't happen. Jesus said heaven and earth is gonna pass away, but my word will come to pass. Everything that Jesus said was gonna happen is gonna happen. And I purposely want to present this study uh, with one of making us a little uncomfortable for a reason as we get towards the end of our message. So let's go on to the fourth trumpet in verses 12 and 13. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sign, or about to sound. Um, another phase of creation upon which mankind on this earth is solely dependent upon is, of course, uh, the light from the sun. To a lesser degree, man is dependent upon the moon and stars. It was on the fourth day of creation that these two heavenly bodies appeared, and we always talked about that. But now, one-third of that is going to be diminished. And as I thought this through, what I did this week is I called, um, I'm concerned about my friend T.A. McMahon from the Brian Call. Everybody here familiar with the Brian Call? T.A. is a very good friend of mine, and he lives in Bend, Oregon. And I also have a cousin who lives in Bend, Oregon. And um, I called him up and um, left a message. He got right back with me. And I said, T.A., I just, I just want to know, are you guys okay? What's, what's, what's it like? What's your perspective on, on uh, what's happening here? And um, I did a little research on air uh, quality control and how they rate it. They rated it on a scale from 1 to 500. And um, you can go on and just see the devastation that's happening right now in Oregon because of these fires. And uh, we should be praying for those folks too. But he says, we can't go out. He said, there was one day um, last week where the air quality in Bend, Oregon was 700. That's deadly. And nobody can go out of their houses because if they do, they're putting their lives in danger. It's dropped back from that now. Uh, When it was really bad and was coming over here, 
both me and my wife, uh, we could taste the particles. And I don't know if any other of you could, but there was a couple days where actually it was cloudy. It was supposed to be nice sunny days. But even in Wisconsin, because of the fires way out there, (laughs) it was affecting um, the sunshine from being able to come through. I think the devastation from the previous judgment, and I, I got some pictures that I don't have them put up, just showing the, a picture of what Bend, Oregon looks like. Believe me, a third of the sun is not there. And these fires all the way up and down the west coast. And, um, but my point is, we look at this, this could be a real practical side effect of the other judgment why there's a diminish of sunlight for a third, simply because of the amount of smoke that's in the air. This smoke has made it all the way to China. And then in China, the air quality is the worst there, and that travels to northern part of India. So the top 10 cities, I did a little research on it, are in China, northern India, Nepal, Kathmandu. That whole area has, has some of the worst, but that air quality is moving from west to east. The fires on the west coast are moving from um, west east, I meant east to west from China. Are we clear? <laughs> you're saying I am, but you're not, Dwight. <laughs> but um, as we look at a, just a practical thing that's going on in our own country, we can, we can really actually understand why the sun would be diminished. And uh, it's easy to see why that could happen. Chapter 9 brings us to the fifth trumpet. And now we're going from, remember the first ones were upon the earth. Uh, Gang, to me, this is the weirdest chapter in the Bible, okay? I'm going to spend a little time on it. Uh, The last three trumpets are separated from the other other ones. Uh, In fact, there are three woe woe trumpets uh, as we get into this here. The first four, again, are against the earth. The last three, against man himself. So as we look at chapter 9, I want to read the first five verses. And I mean it when I say this is um, probably some of the strangest scriptures in the Bible. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And a key was given to him. So here we have a star but it's a he. Remember when it said all the sons of God sang for joy and we have angelic uh, and all the stars of heaven sang? It's a reference to angels. So this angel here has the key to the bottomless pit. We'll talk about who he is. So a star, we're on good, safe, biblical terms when we say a star is actually an angel, either fallen angel or the ones that didn't rebel, the holy ones. And it was given the key to the bottomless pit. Um, Where is the bottomless pit? It is in the very center of the earth. Why is it a bottomless pit? Because you can't go up, down, east, or west because you'd be moving in some other direction. This is the very center of the earth. It is the bottom. And in the bottom, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, 
and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. These are demons, and we'll explain that in a second. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Uh, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth and any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. All right, now we're going back to chapter seven. And here we have a reference. You can do damage. You can't kill anyone. But, and you can't touch those that have the 144,000 who have been sealed and protected from this judgment here. So they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing, that's what locusts do, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. I want to do a little sidetrack here. And I want to talk about the bottomless pit, demons that are there, demons that are not there. And uh, to do that, I'm going to have you turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Just a little sidetrack here. Luke chapter 8, we're looking at verse 26. This is Jesus in the land of um, the Galilee, land of the Gadarenes, verse 26. Then he sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, And when he stepped out on the land, there there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Uh, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now in another gospel it says, commanded him, uh, do not torment us before the time. And in another version, there's actually two men are here, but Luke only draws our attention to one. Um, And he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, Jesus did, for he had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and he was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So he has supernatural strength because he's demon possessed. And Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Then they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. What is the abyss? It's the bottomless pit. It's Sheol, it's hell. Uh, My point here is, let me finish reading down to um, verse 33. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain and they begged him that they would permit them to enter and he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and was drowned. All right, when we go to Israel, there's only one place that this event could have taken place. And when we're on our boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, we stop at the boat. And one thing I always point out is the place 
The only place that it could happen. It's on the north, let's see, it'd be the northeast corner, about five miles coming down the Sea of Galilee. There is one place where it slopes and it goes right directly into the Sea of Galilee. But it's the only place on the whole lake that this could have happened. So I usually talk a little bit about that study there. Um, Now I'd like you to... uh, the other thing I'd like to mention here is one-third of Jesus' ministry was ca- casting demons out of people. And you're thinking, what's your point, Dwight? Well, my, my point is simply this. They're aware of who Jesus is. Um, and this is interesting when you ask people, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, but it doesn't change anything. Their life isn't changed. And it says, well, the demons believe too and tremble. They know who Jesus is and the authority that he has to the point that they tremble when his name is mentioned. Now turn just the page to Luke chapter 10, verse 17, and I'll give you one more illustration. Uh, Verse 17 through 20. The disciples were sent out on their first missionary journey. And when the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits, demonic spirits, are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. What a contrast. Oh, get used by the Lord. You can cast out demons from people. Don't get all worked up over that. If you want to get worked up over something, realize that if your name's in the book of life, that's something to get worked up about. Good place for an amen. That's what it's all about. Okay, now, why do I go here? Well, to make this point. If one-third of Jesus' ministry and the disciples were involved casting out demons, and um, you've heard the terminology that uh, we're not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices because he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We're talking about spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? Well, there's real demons that don't want you to make it. And they're gonna try to trip you up. And, um, you know, the devil comes to the Lord. And then he calls Peter over. He says, Peter, come on over here. He says, the devil's just asked for you. Why Peter? Why why do you think the devil wanted Peter? Because Peter was always opening his mouth and talking about Jesus, that's why. Did anybody read Wisdom for Today this morning? It's called, Whose Fool Are You? And um, it's a great message, and I thought it worked into our study because there's the old saying, everybody is somebody's fool, right? Well, we honor people, we honor firemen, we honor veterans, but do you ever hear the Apostle Paul being honored? Or Peter? No, but it was Paul who said that, he'd, that the, the afflictions that he went through is nothing compared to the glory that's gonna be revealed in us. These trials that we're going through now, nothing compared to the glory that's gonna be revealed in us. So if you wanna be left alone, be nobody's fool. Be a fool for, but what Chuck was saying this morning is if I'm a fool for preaching the gospel, then I'm a fool. And if you're not a, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'm also gonna deny you before my Father 
who is in heaven. So tongue in cheek with Chuck this morning, he says, whose fool are you? He says, I want to be a fool for Jesus Christ that I could care less what people think. Amen. And we're getting at that place now that you need to realize the more that you're determined to warn people about what's lying ahead, the more of a target you are going to be. There will be oppositions that will be raised up against you because you have now become a threat. But if you say nothing anytime about the Lord, you're no threat. And uh, you'll be probably left that much more alone. All right, my, my point with all this, there's demons on the earth right now. But let's go back, and I wanted to do a contrast because there are some demons that are so terrible that they will not be allowed to be on this planet because of the hurt and destruction. There's powers and principalities, we're told. You know what that means? There's a hierarchy in the angelic realm, but also in the demonic realm. And there's some of these demons that are so terrible that they, can, they won't be released until a certain time. Now we're in the tribulation. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's go back to Revelation. If there's demons on the earth now, and there is, and there's other demons here, according to chapter nine, the first five verses here, uh, that this angel that has the key to the bottomless pit, he allows them out of the abyss. Now in verse six, this even gets weirder still. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That's unthinkable. Uh, They're already in pain. They say enough already, I'm checking out. And they try to check out, but um, they can't die. Death takes vacation. When a body can no longer maintain life, the spirit is released, and the real us is spirit. Our body is is an expression of our spirit. Death is a blessing, but not in these verses. Did a funeral here yesterday, and I knew I was going to be quoted these verses today, but I also quoted them at uh, Donna Marquardt's funeral yesterday. And... Uh, she was 83. I've been praying that the Lord take her home because she was on morphine and suffering. And um, what a woman of God. You couldn't go anywhere um, without Donna Marquardt telling you about, and this is her word, so she would say it. Um, she didn't just say Jesus. She would say, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there was the, the family members were getting up and um, saying she, she wouldn't take her morphine um, when, when it was getting towards the end if she knew a hospice worker was coming over that day. She would rather suffer the pain and have a clear head so she could present the gospel. And she knew what lies ahead. And she's one of the most unique women that I ever lived. No food or water for the last two months. Figure that one out. Uh, only popsicles. And she was just hanging on so she could share with her family. And her, fam- her, her sons got up and shared that yesterday. But this is a scripture that I wrote um, down and I quoted yesterday. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. And then in Psalm 116 verse 15, I closed the funeral with this verse, Precious 
in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And then I usually read something when it says when our body can no longer articulate by using this body, this isn't me, this isn't me, this isn't me. Me is in here. And every one of you has a soul and has a spirit. It is eternal. Everybody lives forever. That's not the question. The question is where are you gonna spend eternity? And that's the, that's the issue. And I knew I was gonna be quoting these verses this morning. It's a blessing in the eyes of the Lord for Donna to be able to come home. And that was my prayer. Lord, just get her out of here. She's pain and suffering. She's 83, she's not gonna have it reversed, so please just take her home. That was also my prayer for my father and my mother. Um, Both passed away of cancer when I just didn't want them to suffer. And they were both on fire for the Lord, so Lord, take them home. Good place for an amen. That's the hope we have. But imagine when death takes a vacation and you try to take yourself out and the spirit doesn't leave the body. I told you this was gonna be a weird chapter, guys. And for five months, you know the other, only other time that there was judgment on the earth for five months? That was the amount of time that the waters were upon the earth during the flood. The exact amount of days, five months. And you can do that, be a Berean and do your own homework. I just found it interesting. So um, back to Revelation 9, where death takes a vacation now. 7 through 12, we have the shake of the, the locust was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the face of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were white like uh, lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like a breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions and their sting was in their tail and their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. We're talking about Lucifer here. That is their king that's over them. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after this. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Joel. And as you're turning, Joel chapter two, as you're turning, how many of you, like me growing up, would make sure mom looked in the closet or under the bed so the boogeyman just wasn't there? Anybody besides me growing up? Oh, some of you still are? (laughs) Well, imagine if the boogeyman really was under the bed. And um, what I'm reading here from Joel, I will not be dogmatic about, but I think it describes in more detail actually what's going on during this five-month period of time. It's much more descriptive. And if you pick it up in verse four, it says their appearance was like the appearance of horses, and like white steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountains, they leap. Like the noise of flaming fire that devours a stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Before them, the people wither in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. 
everyone marching in formation. Now, if you know anything about locusts, they have no formation. They're driven by the wind, and that's how they end up where they're going. Not these guys. These guys are marching in formation and actually have a king over them. And if you're taking notes at this time, you might want to write down Proverbs 30, 27, where it says, the locusts have no king. And you think, why in the world did the Lord ever put that in the Bible? I think because of Revelation 19. They're marching in order. Like, uh, they do not break rank. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. And when they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter the window like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. And the Lord gives voice before his army for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. Here it is, for the day of the Lord. That's what the tribulation is called. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, who can endure it? The very thing that we're scared about of the boogeyman underneath the bed, these guys are actually there, climbing in your window, waiting to find you, to do what? To bring pain and suffering to the point where you wanna die and you can't die. Guys, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, and it's so uh, intense when you you try to wrap your head around it. Um, Demons like this um, are only released during the great tribulation period versus the one that are on planet Earth, Earth right now. They're not allowed to kill, and it's gonna be different from um, the rest of our study this morning. So let's go back to Revelation 9, and we've made it through chapter 12. The last section here is 13 through 21. This would be the sixth trumpet. And we read, then the sixth angel sounded, And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the six angels who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month were released to kill a third of mankind. I'm just gonna stop and let that settle in. There are four demons here that have been prepared for a moment in time. That's literally what it says here, and as a result of it, when they're done, one-third of mankind will be destroyed. I'll come back to those numbers in just a bit. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, those who sat on them, had breastplates of fiery red Ice and blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of the mouth came the smoke and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, uh, for their tails are like the serpents having heads and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent 
of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, idols of gold or silver or brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. You would think they would go up and say, enough, I repent. Lord, no more. But they don't. Now, the six angels sounded, and I heard a voice from the horns of the altar, which is before God. In the earthly tabernacle, there was the altar with the four horns upon it. Uh, this is a likeness of the heavenly altar, the golden altar, which is before God's throne. The voice that John heard in the six angels' trumpet loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates is a river that ran through the ancient Babylonian kingdom from where the world's false religious system came from. Most of the satanic cults have originated in Babylon. The river Euphrates was one of the rivers in the Garden of Eden. It seems to me that the Lord is bringing everything full circle. And now the focus point is the river Euphrates where we have four demons that have been incarcerated and they're only released for this period of time. The difference between these demons and the locust is a locust could not kill, only harm. These kill a third of mankind. Turn with me to the book of Jude, which is right before the book of Revelation. Here in Revelation 9, there are four extremely fierce angels. God has been protecting the earth from them. They have been in chains, but now they're let loose. Now in Jude, verse six, we read, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of that great day. All right, let's review. There's demons on the earth. There's demons that are incarcerated, that are let loose in this chapter. And then we have these four demons here are so deadly and forceful that uh, they will be released at their proper time. I won't be dogmatic again in what I'm about to say with chapter six. There are two thoughts with this verse. And that is the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Well, all the demons are the ones that rebelled with Lucifer. But left their habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the judgment of that great day. It could mean two, uh, one or two thoughts here. Uh, When they are judged, it could mean that there are demons that are gonna be kept in chains. The Bible says, don't you know you're gonna judge angels? And that meaning the fallen angels. And it could mean they're being kept in reserve until they're judged, but it also could be a reference to what we're studying here. That there are demons that are kept in reserve until to be used in the day of judgment. Are you tracking with me? And I won't be dogmatic on either one of those two thoughts because I, I'm not, I wouldn't, wouldn't be, um, I'll let you make up your own mind on that. But clearly we're told here that they're released for a certain time that's been prepared for them for a day and an hour. Let's go back to Revelation and see the result of the sixth trumpet. Verse 15 tells us that one-third of mankind was killed. And um, 
um, we find already back in, we'll just turn back to um, chapter 6, verse 8 in the seal judgment. When the fourth seal was opened, the rider on the pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death by the beasts of the earth. What are you saying, Dwight? Already one quarter of the earth's population is destroyed and it tells us by who. These were destroyed not by these four angels but by hunger, uh, the beasts of the field, sword, and um, that's how one quarter of the earth's population is destroyed. And now in chapter nine, if one quarter, say, let's say the earth's population is eight billion, and one quarter was already killed in, in the seal judgments, um, that, was, that, that means two billion people were killed, which leaves us with six million by the time we get to chapter nine. Now one third of six million as we bring it down, we have half of the world's population destroyed by the time we get to the ninth seal. And of the six billion is another two billion, that's one half of the world's population destroyed. And hell is literally unleashed during this period of time. Um, I told you this was a, a hard Bible study for me to give. Let's go to the seventh trumpet. We're only gonna read one verse. It's not in chapter 10, it's in chapter 11. And I'll just read the seventh trumpet, verse 46. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The seventh trumpet judgment contains the seven bowl judgments. And... Um, this is the only statement I'm going to make on that, and we've just completed the seven trumpet judgments. Now, this has been a very sobering week for me, as I knew what the subject matter was going to be. And I'll be honest with you, this is difficult to read this morning. And I, I wanted to leave it with some sort of impact so we could realize just the, the unbelievable thing that's going to happen to us, uh, to people that are left behind. So I asked the Lord to give me something that I could identify with personally. Um, and the Lord gave me this. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my dad. You want to see my dad at the age of 17? Somebody say yes. Okay, thank you. This is my dad at 17. He lied to get into the Navy after, after um, Pearl Harbor. And um, I was supposed to be born in Hawaii. That's where he was stationed. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh, California, instead, which is a, a naval unit base. Mom was eight months pregnant with me and didn't want to travel. I wanted to be born in Hawaii, Mom. <laughs> but I didn't make it. So the reason I'm putting this picture up as a personal story, I tried to think of, has there been anything in my lifetime? that could even come close to this, and not in my lifetime, but six years before I was born, in 1945. You see, my dad 
was the first ship when the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. My father was on the first ship that arrived in Nagasaki. Um, The name of the ship is the USS Tyrell, and I did a little research. I tried to get my father to talk because he was the first one there. I tried to get him to talk about what's it like to go to a city after it's been attacked by an atomic bomb. There's only been two atomic bombs ever dropped. One was on Hiroshima, one was on Nagasaki. And I could not get my dad to talk about it because of what he saw. I did get him to tell me, I said, Dad, just tell me one story and I'll leave you alone. This was many, many years ago when I was a teenager, but I wanted to know. And he said, well, I was walking down a sidewalk and here was a man who was burned into the concrete, just burned into the concrete. He says, I'm not gonna talk anymore about it. And I went online and I Googled stories about the first ship that landed at Nagasaki. And once you know it, but it actually comes up. And it's a story about a man who was a farmer from South Dakota. He also lied, he was 17 years old, to get in. And he says, I don't wanna talk about it. And it tells the events and the dates. The date of the first one on Hiroshima was August 6, 1945. And then three days later on August 9th, it was Nagasaki. Uh, Three days later, and that ended World War II. They weren't gonna give up. But when the second bomb was dropped, Japan realized unconditional surrender. And the war was over, and that was it. But it took something that devastating, atomic bombs, that there have not been any drops since then. But wanting to leave you with an impact of what is going to be, that's the only thing I could come up with. So I thought I'm gonna find, my, my dad, he's in his dress blues, it's an illegal picture. He's got a note on the back that says, I'm giving you this, but you can't tell anybody. Because it was illegal to have cameras in Japan. During, during this pe- period of time. So, Japanese cameras, I suppose, they got them somewhere. And, but he says, you can't, you can't let this get out. Sorry, Dad, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> and this man who tells his story, he says, I'll only tell you this much. Before we reached the shore of Nagasaki, the stench was so overwhelming that he was talking about he didn't eat breakfast that morning and it was a good thing. I know it's getting heavy and, and, and gross right now, but I want it to be that way. Why? Turn with me to, I believe the Lord, I believe the Lord could come very, very soon. You know what this is? Who recognizes this book? You gotta be old. I bought this book 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you know what I paid for it? Zonervan, $2.25. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth. This book changed my life. What does the title mean? The Late Great Planet Earth. It sold, at this time in 1970, 4,390,000 copies in print. I found this, I was digging through my old, I was in my house and I thought, I got it somewhere. And I actually found it. This book is 50 years old. And I'm just going to read something that Hal Lindsey wrote on November 1st, 1969. 
and why I believe the hour is very, very late. This, this is 50 years old. On November 9th, 1969, Hal Lindsey warned his readers to look for the following events. Now remember, this is 50 years ago. Major denominations would be uh, captured by those who reject the essential truths of the Bible and the deity of Jesus Christ. Number two, denominations would merge together and ecumenicalism would become more prevalent as historic truths of the Bible are discarded. Number three, ministers losing their power along with their link to the supernatural would resort to a social action gimmick. Can you believe he used the word social 50 years ago? Followers, especially young people, would flee the mainline churches in droves. Bible-believing Christians would be openly persecuted for their beliefs, sometimes even by so-called ministers of the gospel. We would begin to see a more move towards a one-world religion. Jerusalem would become the focal point of a world concerns as the Muslims and Israel's would be in a fight in earnest over who owns it. We would see the movement towards the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem by the Jews. The Mideast would become a constant source of tension in the world. Israel would become more prosperous. The Leviathan natural gas with seven trillion cubic meters of natural gas, the oil that they've just discovered on the Golan Heights, not to mention the, their technology, the Muslim-Israel conflict would become a constant world-threatening crisis. The U.S. would begin to lose its preeminent leadership position in the world. We would see Europe moving towards unification. The communist takeover of the world would be stopped abruptly, but it's interesting that it's trying to make a comeback right now. The political power and influence of the Pope would increase. People all over the world will be looking and yearning for a leader to bring them together. The worst famines the world has ever known would break out. Catch this one. Moral and social chaos in America would tear apart the fabric of our society and begin to destroy our economy. Drug addiction and abuse would escalate as problems in America and throughout the Western world. Crimes, riots, unemployment, poverty, mental illness, illiteracy, and other social problems would increase at an unprecedented rate. There would be more interest in accepting Eastern religion, astrology, and witchcraft. How in the world did he know 50 years ago? And what have we seen just happen as he says exponentially it's gonna increase more and more. I wanted to read that because Bible prophecy is so important. And I wanted it to be a heavy study uh, and I wanna close with this by having you turn back to the book of Jude and I'm gonna challenge you this morning. I know I'm preaching to the choir often wondered when we get to heaven the Lord says he's going to wipe away every tear why would we why would we be crying if we're in heaven why would there be tears to be wiped away could it be regret could it be regret that I could have done more and didn't 
Could it be a regret that I did nothing at all? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And the reason I wanted this to be a serious study this morning is the Bible tells us it's the goodness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. God loves me that much. You know, that should just, Lord, you're so good. I'll, I want you because of that. But some of us had to get hit over the side of the head by a two by four, correct? So in verse 22 of the book of Jude, it's witnessing the people. And in verse 22 it says, on some have compassion, making a distinction. A distinction about what? On how you're gonna witness to them. It says, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, even hating the garment defiled by the flesh. My friends, this is really gonna happen. And we have loved ones. And if we don't warn them, who's going to? Oh, they're they're gonna call you a fool, but again, whose fool do you wanna be? Let me be called a fool, but stand up and give a Bible study that's one of the hardest ones for me to give because I know these things are gonna happen. And so, you've heard the old expression of fire and brimstone message. you never hear that anymore these days. This is not a fire and brimstone message. This is just Revelation 8 and 9. It's going to happen. This has to happen. And if people really become aware, this was a life-changing book because he nailed it 50 years ago. Most popular selling book of the 70s right here. And it changed my life and the way I perceive things. Might I say it scared the hell out of me? Okay. And rightly so, I thank the Lord for it. I mean, if half the things this guy said are, are true, um, then Dwight, you better get your act together somehow. So the, the fear, it is the goodness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. But don't be afraid to preach fire and burn stone. Why? Because it's coming. First time it was with a flood. The second time it will be by fire. I don't want to leave you. I want you to leave with a heavy heart, but I want you to know that if you're born again and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the rest of what I'm about to read is for you, okay? I want to encourage you not, I want you to encourage you to be a Peter, to be a Paul, to stand up no matter what people think of you. Let them call you a fool. Let them call you a homophobic. Let them call you whatever they want to. But speak the truth in love and don't you dare compromise. This is for us. It's how my good friend Bill Waters, and we're gonna close with his song this morning. Bill wrote it. Now he's addressing us. Jude ends his book talking to you and talking to me. And he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider your word this morning and the wrath of the Lamb being poured out, we thank you for the blessed hope that we have that You've not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation. But Lord, help us see what's going to happen. And and, uh, Lord, by the power of your spirit, help us not be afraid of what people think when we tell them the truth of what's about to come upon this planet. And have regrets for loved ones who would be left behind 
or whatever I have to go through um, what we read about this morning. So, Lord, we're so grateful that um, you lay the tough stuff out for us to digest also, not just the good stuff. And, Lord, I pray that we would be motivated uh, to be salt and light in this um, increasingly dark world. But we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.